0: That is the sound of panic in the forest. Wild chimpanzees in chaos and fear. Traffic chimpanzees suffer cruel fates at the hands of humans. In addition to habitat destruction of their African forests, humans also harm apes in many more direct ways. Chimps, gorillas, and other primates are hunted for bushmeat. This thriving illegal global trade has far-reaching impacts. Apes are not only killed for meat, but when a mother is killed, a baby is often left behind. Captured alive, it suffers cruel, lifelong fate as a pet. It's estimated that a single baby can be worth as much as $70,000. In many cases, these babies are trafficked by criminal syndicates, where they are part of a broader, multi-billion-dollar illegal trade. On this episode of Talking Apes, we're exploring new efforts to dramatically interrupt decades of corruption and trafficking, one that is pushing great apes ever closer to extinction. Hi, I'm Jerry Ellis, and on this episode of Talking Apes, my guest is Iris Ho. She is the head of campaigns and policy for the Pan-African Sanctuary Alliance, or PASA. Ms. Ho has over two decades of diverse experience in campaign advocacy, animal welfare, Wildlife protection and public policy. She represents PASA at multilateral environmental treaty conventions, such as the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Flora and Fauna. You're listening to Talking Apes, the podcast that gets to the very heart of what's happening with and to apes like us. The Talking Apes podcast is made possible by generous support from listeners like you and nonprofit Globio. Welcome, Iris. I am so excited to have you on Talking Apes.
1: Thank you so much, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here, and the excitement goes both ways. Um, I've also you know, been looking forward to talking to you um, and connecting with you and also your audience.
0: Liz, why don't we start with you describing a little bit about what your role is, because it is unique um, in, in terms of PASA's history.
1: Yes, I am indeed still relatively new to PASA. Having joined last well November last year, and um, it's but you know I'm not I, I I'm you know pasta is not new to me. Uh, you know back then I, I actually I remember. The very first time that one of the PASA member sanctuaries uh, Jacques in DRC Congo he visited uh, my previous organization uh, this is you know way back and and then also the previous uh, executive director of PASA Greg visited uh, my previous organization Human Society International so I remember visiting it you know meeting them and i was just i was so both of their visits just blew me away i mean i i they i mean the the work that they do uh Passa member centuries and Pasa does was just so impressive i remember emailing actually both of them you know first when when, when frank visited us um, and we were all just so blown away! I, I email Frank and I thank him for what he does uh, for primates in, in DRC Congo and Greg. Also, I remember emailing him actually asking him how could I be a volunteer uh, for Pasa. Um, so that really speaks to the fantastic work that you know Pasa Network um, is doing. So I, you know, I am you know been familiar with with Pasa's work, but. After having joined PASA, I mean, there's just so much more that I did not know, I wasn't aware um, of uh, prior to joining PASA. And so every day still, you know, I'm learning so much um, about what our members do um, and supporters and scientists within our network, what they do, um, including, you know, collaborators, you know, like, like you, you know, Globio and, and Jerry and, and your supporters what you guys do to, you know, help primates. And, and I, I'm just, you know, really grateful for the opportunity to be with, with PASA. And I'm hoping, you know, just to do great things uh, pro, for primates, um, other African wildlife, and also, you know, their wild habitats. That's what uh, really keeps me going every day.
0: I think it's beginning to dawn on people, especially policymakers and politicians and others is that this is all interconnected. You're not just out there saving chimpanzees. You you know, you're saving when you're involved in the conservation of a species, you're involved in the conservation of its habitat. You're involved in social issues in that locale, in that country, um, economic issues, um, poverty, and, those dots are all connected. And I, I think that's what's really interesting about you coming on board PASA is because prior to, really prior to Greg taking over as director a few years ago, PASA was very much a membership organization. And you know, Greg really tried to, I think, push it in my conversations with him and our the podcast we did in season one with him, really trying to see how how can we, change the agenda such that we're empowering those local sanctuaries to become more players on the local scene and in conservation. And now with the addition of you to that. So maybe let's talk a little bit about what you do, um, because I, I don't know, so I'd love to hear it, of what you do on a daily basis. Like, what what is your job? You're a policy person Pasa. and you're the person out there at at these conventions and these conferences So what what is that um, about?
1: Yes yeah, so I am a policy person and that's you know a lot of my background on wildlife um, issues for a long time and and Jerry, you're absolutely right you know these you know primates um, don't they don't live in vacuum whether it's you know in the international international policy um discourse or underground conservation and animal welfare efforts Um, and what i do is to i I like to see myself sort of as a as a sales person saleswoman um and my product is primate protection. You know, you know, we need to protect you know African wildlife, African primates, supporting communities, uh, supporting conservation efforts, and um, you know, throughout my career, um, I have been uh, participating in various multilateral conventions, uh, discussions, uh, policy making on the national levels in different countries and international levels, and as well as uh, building um, existing uh, network with similar minded uh, conservation organizations around the world. And, And so with me being on board, i i you know my my job a lot of what i do is to you know represent pasa in our network at these at the tables where policies are being made where you know policies are being discussed so that pasa member sanctuaries and and to some degree wildlife sanctuaries have a voice at these tables. I mean, if you're not at the table, then, you know, likely, you know, your input is, is not going to be incorporated in a timely fashion.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what, I guess that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, what, what is the value of a sanctuary? You know, um, I I just came back from Cameroon where I was with one of the members there, Ape Action Africa at Mayfu Primate Sanctuary. And, you know, over 300 primates they're taking care of. Largest captive population or, you know, orphaned population of lowland gorillas, endangered lowland gorillas. What, what can their role be on an, how does that translate to an international setting? I mean, when we start talking about what UNEP does and CITES and IUCN and, and all all these other groups, I mean, can you bridge that gap for me?
1: Um, so, you know, I, I think there's still, um, there's still not enough recognition Within the greater wildlife protection slash conservation world, to to see sanctuaries as part of the solutions to combating you know wildlife trafficking, illegal wildlife trade, um, or climate change, you know depending on what the, the the specific sanctuaries do. And that's also something that I didn't realize until I joined Pasa is that you know there are quite a few you know three. Um, I think three-quarters of PASA members um, have anti-poaching activities and a lot of them and I'm sure you know you are familiar with as well you know some of them have uh, community livelihoods uh, programs and some also have uh, reforestation efforts programs generating uh, new or maintaining protected areas. And at these different multilateral conventions, uh, CITES is talking about addressing the international trade, and there's also enforcement um, of wildlife trafficking to some degree under CITES. Um, you know, because these are the same government agencies who are in charge of um, wildlife enforcement operations. And then, you know, with the Convention on bio- Biological Diversity, you know, looking at um, the big picture, global picture of uh, biodiversity targets for the next 10 years. So by being at these different um, discussions, then PASA is inserting um, the view and voice of sanctuaries in these discussions um, as they take place. And, you know, when it comes to wildlife sanctuaries, and I, I've talked to um, many, you know, colleagues that I, I've been working with for, for so long, and a lot of them actually still have this, mis, maybe not misunderstanding, but not enough understanding about the comprehensive work that sanctuaries do. They, you know, they thought, oh, you know, sanctuary is just, you know, just taking care of animals. It's all about just, you know, taking care of animals. just, you know, they they don't think about how these animals came about. How did they arrive? They're not connecting the dots. You know, they, you know, they didn't think about, oh, a lot of these animals, majority of them are actually victims of illegal wildlife trade. You know, without the sanctuaries, where would the the officials? government uh put the animals to if they have a successful um, operation i mean a successful enforcement operation is just one part of the big picture you know the other picture is post enforcement operation i i don't you know a truly successful enforcement operation is yes you have the traffickers you have the poachers that's one part and, you know, another part is um, making sure that justice is served, making sure that you do have a judiciary system that follows through, um, that there's, you know, actually punishment uh, for these wildlife criminals. But then there's also how do you, what are you going to do with these, you know, living animals? So that's where the sanctuary is come in. So this, you know, you, this we have to look at addressing wildlife crime, addressing illegal trade, addressing poaching in a holistic uh, manner. And that's why Sanctuary is playing such an important a pillar of a successful uh, enforcement operation.
0: Yeah, do you think part of the misconception that people have about the role sanctuaries played is it is almost by their own doing because if you if you look at any of the social media and that's that tends to be one of the main avenues in which people interact with the sanctuaries uh, Facebook and you know Instagram or whatever and what you see is babies you you know, it's just this parade of of babies. Uh, un- unfortunately, part of that parade is because they're constantly getting rescued animals, um, and it's a it's a much um, despite the efforts over the last couple of decades that hasn't slowed at all. I mean, we're seeing just as many animals. In fact, during the pandemic, um, some of the sanctuaries saw an actual increase, and we can get into maybe why that happened, but. It, the fact that that's the only view that most most of the public gets to see is is put out there because because of that i mean i just you know the the Jane Goodall Institute i just got a couple of uh, emails popped up on my screen early this this morning and it was like you know reaching out for obviously for donations but it was because we've got just you know these rescues and these things that were going on because they uh they support uh, directly a couple of the sanctuaries. And it just seems like that's the only message. We don't see this uh, this holistic um, sort of approach to stopping poaching that you're talking about. And I'd, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more um, because there are these parts. there are the, There's the, the trafficking illegal part. Um, and maybe you can describe each of these parts maybe in a little more detail and help us break it down because this is a, you're the first person we've had on the podcast in, in now, you know, over a year that really probably understands it better than anyone else. We've had people like Ophir Drory and others on that are involved in the actual, in one of these pieces, but this idea that there are these three silos so that the trafficking, the judiciary, and, and then the, I guess the sanctuary piece or the, the rehab reintroduction piece.
1: Yeah. And, and Jerry, you know, if, if I may, you know, I would like to go back to maybe also compared um, the trafficking of live animals versus, you know, my, my, my background, which is, you know, like wildlife trafficking, uh, you know, especially on elephant ivory, you know, pangolins and rhino horns, because that's how I see um the need for discourse discourse on trafficking and poaching of of live animals because i've done you know the the trafficking and in ivory rhino horns and pangolin skills for so long so i i know that the power of narratives and the power of of stories of how you know, it's it's how, you know, informing the wider public about the scourge of elephant poaching, what it does to, to elephants, the cruelty side, you know, the cruelty of um, shaving of a, a horn of a, of a rhino who you know, could still be alive, you know, and the trafficking of, of pangolins, the, the staggering amount of pangolins being poached. But so far, at least, you know, the last uh, decade or so, the international, there are just too many conservation, unfortunately, too many conservation crises, um, you know, facing our generation. So the last decade or so, the, the narratives, the discussions have been focusing on t- you know, killing elephants, rhinos, and, and pangolins and not enough attention have been focusing on trafficking and poaching of live animals, including primates.
0: Maybe, maybe, sorry, if I could just for one second, just to get everybody who's listening to this up to speed, can you give us just a snapshot view of what that is um, so that they understand it? Because I don't, I think people think, oh, yeah, they're trafficking ivory, so they're cutting, you know, they're killing the elephant, cutting the ho- and shipping it off to China or wherever. And um, But the crime is much greater than that, and it's a much broader network than that.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, Jerry, that, that's a really good point because um, the tackling, the trafficking of elephant poaching, rhino horns, and pang- pangolin skills uh, to some degree is with withstand- deserve its urgency because these crimes intersected with, for example, um, you know, national security of the United States. If we look at who were poaching elephants uh, back then, you know, we're talking about armed militias, we're talking about, you know, Ashabab, you know, groups with terrorist uh, connections. And so very rightly so that, The, you know, wildlife trafficking um, was focusing on stopping elephant poaching, you know, about, you know, 144,000, you know, elephants were poached um, in a decade, the last uh, decade. And so those were urgent uh, crises, And that's why, you know, the majority of the discussion um, when it com- when it came to wildlife trafficking, we're focusing on these uh, species because the, the, we're talking about you know billions of dollars you know as as a whole uh, for wildlife trafficking illegal wildlife trade uh, which you know rank you know one of the top five uh, illegal um, activities worldwide, and and with that in mind, um, it's it's in my view. Uh, more discussions need to be, you know, talk about um, trafficking and poaching of of live animals, especially primates. Because, you know, we're talking about species that, first of all, they're sentient beings. And second of all, you know, we're talking about animals that um, are close relatives to us. And third, unlike you know, elephant ivory, penguins, rhino horns. Once you seize them, you put them in, in the storage, which requires a lot of, you know, resources, of course, to make sure that there are no leakage um, of these uh, seized products into the marketplace. But caring for live animals, we're talking about lifetime commitment. And I think a lot of the times, um, I don't think policymakers make that connections or it's you know it's not in their calculations when it comes to oh you know let's do an enforcement how much do we need but do we look at the financial responsibilities of caring for these confiscated animals who a lot of you know a lot of these animals will need maybe will not be able to repatriate it back to the wild you know because of the traumas that they experience or the injuries that they suffer during poaching and trafficking um, and then so that goes back again is that it's it's really we're doing our you know disservice if we look at wildlife trafficking but yet you know, not enough discussion are looking at trafficking and poaching of live animals and primates, and especially the rehabilitation and care for these seized animals. Because again, you know, this is, you know, lifelong commitment. And it's, it's, and and this goes back actually to your question earlier, you know, point that you're talking about, you know, sanctuaries are, you know, we see on social media, it's, you know, images of babies. That's because that's, that's, that's what they receive, as you know, who they receive, as you say. And, and human beings, unfortunately, we need to be reminded that, you know, wildlife crime, there's a face behind these wildlife crimes. And the face are, yeah, you know, the, the face of a baby chimpanzee, um, you know, or the face of a, of a, a baby bonobo. Um, and 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 we that's you know how we can sanctuaries can you know educate the public and remind the policymakers and put these uh, this you know concept of wildlife crime with the face.
0: So you're a policymaker. You've got these three silos. Where where do? I think it's easy to say, okay, we just, I mean, we have to attack it on all fronts if we're going to make a difference, but, but where is the real linchpin in all of this? Where is the, if if you were going to, you know, everybody was going to leave their logos and egos at the door, (laughs) which is tough in conservation and get in a room and say, okay, here's how we're going to attack. And let's, let's focus on, on the, the primate trafficking for a moment. Where where do we start? Where's the key point where you think if we can make if we can make a change there, that would start having a ripple effect across the board? We're going to take a short break from our conversation with Iris Ho, and we'll be back in just a minute. I want to check in with our assistant producer, Demelza Bond, and let's see what's going on behind the scenes and on all of our social media tracks. Hi, Demelza. What's happening
2: Hiya Jerry. well it's really good to have Iris here with us today, she's really you know an expert on uh, changing global policies regarding the the illegal wildlife trade so I'm super excited about that and it's really great to be connecting with the PASA team again because I used to volunteer for them so I just want to tell everyone to check them out because they are really an industry leader, they're an amazing organisation.
0: They are. We have a lot of friends over there. And some of you may have heard the podcast we've been doing with some of their staff here, um, starting with their new executive director, Kelly O'Meara. Anyway, you could check out those over on our Talking Apes website. And that's how's that going with the new site?
2: Oh, wonderfully. Yes, we we had a very successful launch um, a couple of weeks ago now. And um, yeah, we've, we've been having lots of good feedback. So thank you, everyone. Please do visit. It's TalkingApes.org.
0: Wonderful. Speaking of feedback, I heard you've, you have been hearing from folks and it's all positive. Yay.
2: <laughs> yeah, we have yet. Yeah. The reviews have started to roll in now. We did ask people to send in comments and reviews that we could read out. So I'm going to get right into it and read out the first one. Um, and this is from the lovely Bruce McCammon. So he says that he likes our wide range of topics and that the podcast helps him understand the complexities of ape conservation. And then he says there is a strong sense of curiosity and respect between Jerry and the people he interviews. Listening to the interviews helps inform me not only about apes, but also how to think about my personal efforts in local conservation issues.
0: Wow, that, no, that's exciting. Um, I mean, then that's exactly what we were trying to do when we launched Talking Apes. Um, and so it's it's really fun to know that we are we're connecting with people out there so thank you bruce appreciate the the feedback and how can people for for people who do want to chat with us how can they get a hold of us
2: yeah please do keep the reviews comments questions coming guys um just head over to our website uh which again is talkingapes.org and right at the top you'll find the links to our social media profiles we've got an instagram and a facebook and you can leave us a comment or send us a message on there
0: When you're also up there at the top of the page with those links, you might notice up in the upper left-hand corner, there's a awesome new little logo that we had created for Talking Apes. Um, And we've got a special competition going on for that little logo, right?
2: We have, yeah. Um, I won't say too much, But, you know, we've got that cute little orangutan head and he needs a name. So if you want to help us give him a name, we've got a blog post up on the website um, and you can find out how to enter on there.
0: That's awesome. Okay, that's TalkingApes.com. or talkingapes.org. So um, jump over there, and you can check out everything we're doing. Plus website, and we'll see what's going on over there, and also a list of upcoming guests. Thanks, Demelza. I appreciate you jumping in and keeping us all plugged in.
2: Thanks, Jerry. Speak soon.
0: All right. And now back to our conversation with Iris Ho. Let's focus on on the, the primate trafficking for a moment. Where where do we start? Where's the key point where you think if we can make if we can make a change there, that would start having a ripple effect across the board?
1: You know, talking to uh, PASA members um, and also just, you know, looking at the discussions, the last, you know, let's just say the last decade um, on wildlife crime is that the key is to have political will to address the issue and to elevate poaching and trafficking of primates, just like you know other forms of wildlife trafficking as a serious crime, because you know we've heard from folks um, on the ground um, that a lot of the officials they might say, oh, it's just an animal. And so that is uh, the fundamental mindset that we need to change. And
0: so is that political will inside, outside, or the countries or has both?
1: To, it has to be both. And um, I will say, you know, there's political will inside, there's political will outside, and there's also the, the mindset of the, the local local communities as well that need to be there um, so that we can drive, you know, lasting changes on the ground, on the front line. And when it comes to political will, I do see that um, there has been, in um, you know, very high level political will internationally especially on governments, you know, in in, in Europe, uh, UK, and the U.S., seeing wildlife trafficking as as a priority, conservation, conservation priority. And with that mindset translates into high-level or regular diplomatic engagement with their counterparts, you know, in in Africa and, and elsewhere. And so you need to sustain that level of engagement on the political level. And with that, to work in tandem with groups on the ground, like PASA members, who are, many of them are tackling the illegal trade or the protection of primates on the ground, work with communities um, and work with enforcement agencies, So you need to have these, you know, multi-levels, really layers of collaborations and conversations and dialogue going on. Um, It's, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a complicated, you know, situation and therefore you require multi-layers of solutions.
0: It seems like now PASA may be the the only ones out there who, who have great apes and primates as a mandate. You know, as it's, it's the core of who you are and what you do to to push this issue is is that I, I don't know who else would be doing it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Jerry, it's you know, this is it's 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 teamwork, really. I mean, yes, you know, protecting primates is PASA's mandate, but there are also you know many organizations um who. Are working to protect, you know, different animals, including primates, and um, we cannot afford to work in silos, and, and that's, you know, why I think that's one reason that um, I see my my mission again, you know, is to connect pass network with the with the wider international policymaker communities you know with the conservation and animal protection uh, communities because you know it's it's you know whether it's you know grasp um or other organizations um it's a, a lot is it's very resource intensive as you know and um but i do see that there has been an increased uh recognition of the role of sanctuaries play and and that's you know one reason why pasa was awarded uh, the action for chimpanzee grant uh, by the u.s state department uh, the bureau under bureau of international um, law and narcotic affairs inl with that grant um, allows our members or, you know, sanctuaries underground, specifically in West Africa in this case, to take the lead in coordinating with relevant stakeholders, you know, government agencies in tackling uh, trafficking of chimpanzees. And the programs and activities under that grant will benefit not only chimpanzees, or primates, for that matter, but you know other African wildlife as well in those countries.
0: Yeah, they, uh, there's there's two parts to that that I, I'd love to talk about. One is the fact that it was the international narcotics and law enforcement, or environment. What is it? It's, yeah, law enforcement affairs that you got the grant from, which just seems kind of bizarre. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's it wasn't the U.S. Fish and Wildlife or it wasn't, you know, some, what you'd normally think of as a more conservation-based group. It was law enforcement and narcotics. So maybe you can explain that a little bit, like why they would be the ones giving you money for a program called Action for Chimpanzees. Um, but the other thing is, I'd, I'd like to talk about a little bit is resources. And, and so maybe talk about the law enforcement piece first, and then we'll jump back in on the resources.
1: So for actually for um, when it comes to U.S. government grants on um, combating wildlife trafficking or conserving species, it's uh, you, in addition to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, the U.S. State Department also sees combating wildlife trafficking Um as a policy priority, and that goes back to, again, you know, this is, you know, maybe more than 10 years ago, um, when, um, when then-President Obama designated wildlife trafficking as a national security um, interest issue, and, and so with that designation, since then, there has been a whole-of-government approach within the U.S. In addressing um, crime of uh, in natural resources, and that's why you know the last you know decade or so, uh, State Department, INL uh, specifically has been funding various programs around the world, and um, you know supporting law enforcement capacities, and you know other ways to tackle wildlife crimes and that's when our action for chimpanzee grant came in and we're not you know the only organizations that have been awarded to tackle wildlife crime by inl you know there are a number of organizations uh, that does that and state department does play a very important role in driving uh, the u.s foreign policies and um wildlife conservation and also tackling wildlife crime and specifically under our action for chimpanzee grant um, there are you know different components with this uh, with the, within this grant and one is to um, support um, the, the uh, capability and capacity of the ju- judiciary branch and also law enforcement um, officers and that will be you know through trainings um, of these uh, government stakeholders and you know even though a lot of uh, trainings have been done um, in different countries you know different um, different government branches but we, we know that sometimes you know these turnover can be really high in some of the countries so it's it's very important to have these trainings uh, to continue to make sure that the local government and, and people who are in charge of um, prosecuting crimes, wildlife crime, uh, who are in charge of um, going after traffickers and poachers or protecting you know, primates in the wild, they have the tools and the knowledge that they need to do their job. So one component is, uh, is, uh, is the trainings and then another component within this grant is um, um, boosting anti-poaching abilities and so you know the 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 grants allows uh, our our sanctuary partners on the ground to um, to have the latest and most efficient anti-poaching supplies so that the sanctuaries and their government partners can effectively conduct anti-poaching activities.
0: And, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, sorry. So this is a two-year grant? Yes, this is a two-year grant. Is that right? Grant. So what is the likelihood? I mean, because this seems like to be a chronic problem in, in, in conservation. Um, it, and, and now I guess we could call it other issues because there are the way they blend and mix now with you know, wildlife crime and international terrorism and all of that mixing together. What?
1: Uh, yep.
0: One of the I was going to say one of the chronic problems is these 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 little punctuation marks that we put forward in funding. I mean, there's like a two year here and then nothing, and then two year, and so there's no way to build this sort of uh, you know consistency, and 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 that's what I think we both would agrees. One of the problems with the judiciary in a lot of these countries is, as you said, there's a lot of turnover um, in some of these positions, minister positions and others. So there's no consistency in policy and no consistency in sort of, um, what's the right word? I guess it's, it's like an attitude towards poaching, an attitude towards these crimes. Um, And and I've seen it where ministers will flip-flop. You have one minister who's really staunch about poaching and then the new minister comes in and they don't even care about it at all. And it bounces around. So how do we, it seems to be a resource issue as much as anything. How do we consistently put the resources in to create consistency? Yeah. Yeah. And and Jerry, you know,
1: before answering that, I will just also just, you know, add a third component of our grant, which is a very important component, uh, which is um, analyzing the DNA bio samples of the chimpanzees uh, that are under care of, that are under the care of, uh, of sanctuaries and then compare their DNA with the DNAs of wild chimpanzees in that country. So that we would hopefully that mapping will let us understand that where the chimpanzees came from. And then you will be able to map out the um, hot poaching, uh, poaching hot spots by knowing where the animals came from in the wild. And if we also have where the animals were seized, then you can also draw out the trafficking route uh, within that country. So that's
0: so maybe, ex- mm-hmm. maybe explain that a little bit more for people listening because I, uh, my guess is most people would think, well, if it's Cameroon and there's a chimpanzee seized, must come from Cameroon, right? Yes. Yeah,
1: so we're talking about within the country. So, uh, or, or maybe we don't know. Uh, it could be trans, you know, boundary uh, trafficking. So, for example, um, if, um, Yeah, you know, if we're talking about, say, Sierra Leone um, or Cote d'Ivoire, right? Um, And so we will um, analyze their uh, genetic specialist um, that will analyze. We will analyze the chimpanzees. um, That's the DNA samples of chimpanzees in our member sanctuary, Takugama, and Sierra Leone. And they will compare that. Um, with the maps, with the biomaps of chimpanzee, wild chimpanzees in different parts of Sierra Leone. And, or even the region, you know, we we don't know, you know, in case they are in traffic internationally across borders. And hopefully um, we have enough mapping of, uh, of DNA samples of the wild chimpanzees within Sierra Leone to know where, approximately where in Sierra Leone that these animals came from, then, you know, theoretically, then we can say, oh, you know, this is this area in in Sierra Leone um, could be a uh, a poaching hotspot. But, you know, we don't know, you know, maybe the chimpanzees um, came from other countries um, nearby. And so that, you know, it's, uh, that's, you know, the beauty of science that you don't, you know, have these uh, preconceived conclusion. You let science and data dictates, um, let us know what they find.
0: Well, that seems to, uh, that, that seems to support exactly what I was saying. It seems like we, you can't do that in two years. It seems like we need that. That sounds like a, a decade plus long project to to map DNA and match it to trafficking routes and populations?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, it can, I mean, mapping, you know, the technology itself, you know, the analysis itself, you know, doesn't take years. Um, And so within the data that we are able, we will be able to generate can only tell, you know, what's been happening the last two years or so. And so you're right, right? You know the poaching patterns and trafficking patterns could change over time, and there does, you know, there is a need for uh, consistency, and that's, I, I guess, in a way, I, yeah, it, you know, can behoove us uh, who are doing the work to make sure that to remind uh, policymakers and grant. Uh, grant toward organizations or foundations and government agencies that, you know, two years is not enough. Um, This is uh, this, if we want to address the root cause, it it takes, you know, years and, and hopefully um, they will recognize that. And I I do think that a lot of them do recognize that.
0: Well, yeah, that just seems, uh, especially since we, uh, we, as an organization, Globia, were have been very involved with Takagama in Sierra Leone in developing uh, what's called the Chimpanzee National Animal Awareness and Protection Campaign. Um, we were there for a couple of months last year working on the strategic plan for that and have pulled together funding um, to help with the on-the-ground activities. And one of the things that was... was I wouldn't say it was shocking, but it was surprising. Is we felt like, um, as you know, it, it was a couple of years ago that Takagama was able to get the chimpanzee recognized, or the western chimpanzee recognized as the national animal, the first country in the world to to name a, a you know great ape as a national animal. And uh, yeah, so but nothing actually happened (laughs) at two years. There was a big celebration, you know, Jane Goodall showed up and and there was a lot of fanfare and then nothing happened. And that was part of the strategic plan that we worked on with them was we, what is the awareness on the ground? And we started with the capital city uh, and One of the so we did surveys, street surveys. Literally, we got funding to do street surveys there and to ask people about the national animal. And the the two two of the most prominent animals that people thought were the national animal one was the lion, which makes some sense, Sierra Leone, um, although there hasn't been a lion seen in Sierra Leone for some time. Um, And the other was the cow, Um, and so. So I mean, it just indicated the work ahead. That here, this thing has now been the national animal for a couple of years, and basically, the people within the capital don't even know, much less rural areas where this where poaching is going on and where other issues are at stake. And it, it really, it, it really illustrated, I think, where the resources need to go to just create ground level awareness. Um so so you know the work you're doing is-
1: yeah that goes back to i think earlier we we're talking about you know political will and i said you know it's not only political will but also the mindset and and you know the buy-in of the communities and that's what's you know will drive the lasting transformative you know changes really on the ground for generations to come and, and unfortunately. unfortunately you know these doesn't happen overnight but you know look at you know what takugama has been doing even though you know you did the strategic planning that was two years ago and with the national animal but they did have this past may you know a few months ago they did have a national chimp week chimpanzee week and which was you know just i myself i just absolutely love it you know i enjoy the footage that i've seen you know out of sierra leone seeing people you know being so joyful celebrating their national animal and we i mean it's 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 just you know it takes a long time but we have to be persistent um, and it's it's funny that you say, you know, cow was one of the two countries that people, talk, I guess, you know, when you said that, I was like, yeah, out of sight, out of mind. Um, we often say that. And that's, you know, that's a reason why for, for me representing PASA at these, you know, various coalitions and various conferences is to, yeah, remind people, hey, the sanctuaries are here and the sanctuaries are... should be an integral partners to your work on the ground, you know, from community engagement to conservation to animal protection. And same thing, you know, with engaging government partners, um, whether it's, you know, trainings or other collaborations and, you know, engaging the communities is just, you know, keep engaging them so that it's in their mind. It's not out of sight out of mind anymore they continue to to you know to to remember and to to know that hey you know we do have chimpanzees in sierra leone it's our national animal it's our national pride it's part of our natural heritage and we have a national pride now i i've you know been thinking a lot about this is, again, it's part of the, you know, the, the stories and narr- the narratives of sanctuaries that not only these animals, many of them are the natural heritage of, you know, different countries, African countries, but we also have sanctuaries who employ so many local locals and, and, you know, the nationals of, you know, Cameroonians um, or Sierra Leonese, who every day their job is caring for these animals. And I I don't know how many, you know, their fellow uh, citizens know that or think about that. And I think that's a very powerful and an important uh, story to tell is that, you know, not only we have these wild animals, but we also have people, you know, our fellow citizens, their job is, you know, protect these animals in the wild and some whose whose you know daily life, they you know, in and out is caring for these animals for the rest of their lives. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, whether they're international audience or local, national audience, will be touched by that.
0: I'd like to end with this. Like what what gives you personally hope? What gives Yeah, I mean you see in your in in your job your job before this and now your job at PASA, I mean, it would be easy to have a lot of despair. I mean, you see a lot of crap happening to wildlife on this planet. And I just like, what, how do you find that hope? I mean, obviously you, you probably do have moments of despair, but like what, what drives, what drives you yes. to keep doing this and want to do this?
1: Jerry, I'll be honest with you. Um that to not have despair, to not feel frustrated, to not feel angry, to not feel sad will be a lie. It's impossible. I mean, if you care enough, if you've seen enough, you will feel all these negative emotions. And sometimes these negative emotions drive me going. But more importantly, I mean there were many times you know in, and, and i'm sure your listeners will feel the same is that are we making enough changes it's you know it's it's hard not to despair um sometimes i you know i feel like you know one day i'm like yay i'm making you know five steps ahead and next like oh darn it's you know three steps backwards so even six steps backwards but what keeps me hopeful and what keeps me going, and that's you know actually a major reason why I, I joined PASA is connecting with and seeing the people on the ground, in this case, you know, Africa. The advocates on the front line every single day, putting their lives in danger and caring for individual animals that you know i've done so much policy stuff but without that connection without that that appreciation for people on the ground on the front line is what keeps me going you know we sit here you know i'm here in washington behind my computers um you know going to these you know big conference halls um but, you know, I'm always reminded of so many people, whether they are sanctuaries people or, you know, or, or undercover investigators or just, you know, like a small local, you know, nonprofit one person army. Most of the times in many of these developing countries fighting for what they believe in, I think, you know, how, how can I not be motivated by that? And, you know, I, I shall never lose that personal empathy for them and also for the animals i think you know we we talk a lot about conservation today um but you know come you know with my background i'm you know i'm an animal welfare you know person um, at heart every you know individual animals matters so does conservation of the whole species but, you know, I, I think, you know, at the, the end of the day, um, it's we do our best to save um, animals. And, you know, we do our best to, to save the species um, in a bigger picture sense. Yeah,
0: thank you. <laughs> thank you for fighting. Now,
1: it, got I me, know. <laughs> it got me emotional. <laughs> I'm trying to hold back my, my tears. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it would be yeah, I would be like to say, you know, that I wasn't angry. I you know like yeah, if, if, but now, you know, thinking about some of the setbacks and some of the cruelty I've seen, you know, whether it's you know wild animals or or companion animals or, or farm animals, right? It's um it's um it's 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 hard not to be affected. Well,
0: I think it's uh, it's a it's wonderful that you managed to take that that what would normally seem like a negative thing and turn it into such a powerful motivator because yeah, we do need to keep fighting the fight and keep fighting the fight for those guys who are on the ground and, and doing every, doing it every day. Um, You know, I just spoke to somebody not long ago who had their life threatened multiple times because of what they're doing. And it's just like, and they're never, they're never going to be, their name will never be seen in the big conservation world. And if they get murdered tomorrow for what they're doing, basically nobody will ever know they existed, except for all those animals that they managed to to save and protect. And so, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, just you know, giving up is not an option.
0: Exactly. Well, we do have to (laughs) to bring this to an end at some point, I guess, and so we can start another one at some point. Thank you so very much. I really do appreciate you taking the time, and um, and this has been really fascinating. And let's do this again soon.
1: Yeah. No, thank you so much, you know, Jerry and Demelza, you know, for giving me this platform um, and also for giving PASA this opportunity, these opportunities to speak to your audience. And I'm sure that, you know, we will continue our conversations, many conversations to come and engaging you and then also your audience um, for our shared you know, passion for primates and
0: and wildlife. I want to thank Iris Ho for sharing her insights into the politics and complexities of international primate conservation through the efforts of PASA. You've been listening to Talking Apes, where each episode we explore the world of apes with experts from research to outreach, with passionate primate people and conservationists from around the world. Our guests are at the forefront of news about our wild primate cousins. You can find previous episodes of Talking Apes on our new website at www.talkingapes.org or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you have any questions for us here at Talking Apes or ideas about future podcasts, you can always email us at media at talkingapes.org. I'd like to thank Talking Apes assistant producer, Demel Zabon, for all of the invisible but amazing work that she does behind the scenes. And finally, I'd like to thank you. Talking Apes podcasts are made possible by listeners like you. Please consider supporting Talking Apes with your tax-deductible donation. And you can find a link to that on our website at TalkingApes.org. That's TalkingApes.org.